a lot of viewers are not going to realize unless they've been in the business all there is to producing a print publication i mean it's a tremendous enterprise there's so many aspects to it and then also the aspect of constant deadlines you know the deadlines are always omnipresent so you know usually there's some kind of like horror story that you could probably tell about maybe something happened with the printer or something happened with this or that where you thought maybe you weren't going to get an issue out do you have a couple of memories like that i had an editor got mad and quit when she left the office with all the copy headed to the printer and never showed up at the printer and we found the copy later in the trash can, the big dumpster out in the back of the of the building. And I don't know how we did it, but we put that issue back together. Uh, <laughs> that's a nightmare. That was a real nightmare. I remember uh, being at the office by myself late one night and the phone rang and um, it was David Ruffin. And he called because he had just been fired by the Temptations. And he wanted to tell his story. And we were going to press the next day. So I immediately took what, everything I had and I rushed over to my office manager, Yoko Sako's house. And together we put together the story, rushed in the middle of the night to the printer to add it to the stuff. And it was a cover story the next day, much to Motown's unhappiness. Uh, they were madder in hell is the truth, okay? And I said, he called, he gave the story, you know, what can I say? Well, you should have called us. I said, I couldn't reach anybody at that hour. I don't have your home numbers, you know, just anything. Um, but he felt soul was enough of his that he could call soul to cry that he had been fired. And I just happened to be the one that caught that call that night and could make that decision that uh, stopped the presses, basically. David Ruffin, fired from the temptation was the cover story. Wow, how talked about was that? Very talked about. The other thing that I got a big kick out of when we went with the Jackson Five, we went to the Daisy Nightclub in um, Beverly Hills. It was a showcase for them. Diana Ross presented that that night. That was it afternoon or night? I want to think it was during the day, which is kind of weird, but it could have been uh, night. And Ken saw them, and he knew instantly they were going to be over the top success. So we immediately uh, did a series of six issues, one on the whole group and one on each of the boys. And that issue sold out all over the country. And it was right at the same time they were starting their uh, tour around the United States. I want to say 70 or 71, 72 was right in there. And we went from the mailman bringing our mail in his mail bag that he came in with big bags of mail from all over and that was incredible to us and then uh you know we couldn't read all those letters we, we weren't staffed so i called over to motown we picked some in the whole bit and i remember uh, skip miller and miller london came over to pick them up and they were just blown away and when they took them you know back to motown with them uh everybody was and we had the full cooperation of everybody that when we interviewed him, uh, I remember we spent the whole day at the park. We were out uh, shooting pictures, talking to each one. It was a heck of a project and uh, it was a big success. Who, who were a few of the people that you think were on the most covers? Would it 
any surprises in there or just pretty much be like the Aretha's or James Brown's or people like that you would expect? I've never inventoried that. I have a whole list of the covers. There were 376 and I've never counted how many were any. That's something I've got to do, uh, inventory that. I don't know. The Supremes were always a constant bestseller. Um, Supremes people were, I mean, talk about fans. They were like fans. Um, and that's another story. Jay Randy Terborelli lived in Philly and he was a kid and he was their fan club president. And he came out here and he continued to be a fan. And eventually Randy started to work for us. And he was the last sole editor when I had to pull the plug of the, of the newspaper. He was the editor. And we fell out for a long time because he felt I had closed it. And I, I couldn't keep it. I couldn't go any further. We, the marshals were leaving subpoenas at the house. We were so in debt, okay? And um, I had to pull the plug. And IRS, I think that was the last straw. That's the killer. When IRS is after you, 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 you completely... You Throw the off. But when IRS comes, you're dead, okay? So I had to pull the plug. It was like lose the house, you know, or, or uh, lose the magazine. And I pulled the plug. And, and Randy has gone on to not just be a supreme writer he's got a number of books and he's he's famous in his own right j randy tarparelli so what, that's another that came through soul i forgot all about that what were some of the the conspiring factors that led to you know that sort of dire straits that you got into with the publication then uh after 16 15 years of publication um my mother had pancreatic cancer, so she was dying. The marriage was over 20, I think 22 years, I don't remember, of marriage. It was dying. And um, the advertising was down, so our income was dying. So, you know, I had to make the hard calls. I had to save myself, save my home, and let go of being a public. It's a hard job. You know what? I wouldn't wish publishing on somebody I didn't like. It's, it's, it's really a very hard job. And you're right. It's content. Um, and no matter how good it is or what you're doing, you're always fighting for distribution. But harder than the distribution fight is you're fighting for advertising dollars. And then the more of the publications, at first there were no budgets because there were no publications like us. We were like an ebony or a jet, but we were not like an ebony or a jet. And that made it hard. And um, we got record company advertising. But then when, like I said, there were other publications that became, and when the industry came down, we went down too. We couldn't get the income. I remember one guy who I love, who's kind of a godfather in the black music industry. I had been calling him every week about a check for some ad, for an ad. He had purchased and see I was a collector too and he wouldn't call me and finally I start calling every day so he called me back and he's famous for cursing people out and being belligerent and he cursed me up one side and down the other and screamed calling me names and when he finished I said now may I come pick up the check that you crazy come on get your damn money <laughs> it took that <laughs> to put out a publication okay Wow. Well, so, I mean, the times were, were changing so much at that period for a, for black music, especially with the 
demise of disco and sort of the corporate, the, the corporate rather, uh, record label environment and all of that. I mean, it wasn't a great time for the music industry. And so I'm sure some of that, in my opinion, some of that, you know, affected what you were doing. It, it affected us tremendously. It affected us tremendously. And I'm sorry to take you off your track, but I have to tell this story. Aretha Franklin got mad at us once for publishing something. And so she wouldn't talk to us. And so I called Reverend C.L. Franklin, her daddy, and told him what was going on. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. That will never happen again. <laughs> From then on, Aretha was always available. And um, towards the, the, the last time I saw her, um, she had performed here, I think, at the Kodak or the Microsoft Theater. I'm not sure what it was at that point. Probably a decade ago. Um, and she was, you know, holding court in her uh, suite after the concert and everything. And somebody said something. She said, I know who Regina is, you know, and laughed. And then later she was online um, on Facebook and she reached out to be friends. And I wrote back, I know this is a joke. This is not Aretha Franklin. And she said, yes, it is. And I said, well, tell me something that only you and I know. And she's told me something. I said, no, everybody knows that. She said, call my manager. So I called the manager and he says, that's Aretha. So we were Facebook friends for a while. And then I wondered what happened. And um, that's when she got sick and kind of got less and less out there with people. And at one point I said something about, I wish we'd have grown to be better friends. She said, I thought we always were friends. That blew me away. And it made me stop and think she always did say yes. She was always as kind and open as she could be. And um, I lived a blessed life, okay? I lived a blessed life. To, to have the respect of certain artists that are really famous, they respect what you do and your work. When you stop being in touch with them, often it's not them, it's the people that handle them <laughs> that are paid to block you <laughs> or to block the world. And um, I've had a blessed life, Scott a very blessed life, very, very white. Uh, Barry Gordy, I ran into him at um, a private girls' school where one of my granddaughters was going and he had a granddaughter was going there, had just started there. And he said, we were talking about you recently, wonder what happened to you. I said, I'm being a grandmother, you know. And there he was supporting his granddaughter and I'm there supporting mine. It's, it's, and that he still knew who I was. So that's, cause I mean, I left the industry um, Soul in 1982, and then I did a stint with Dick Griffey, um, 83 through 86, and then I did the NAACP Image Awards as an independent publicist until probably 1992, and then I was not, I'm not active in the industry, except I still have friends, but uh, it, what, it's a good run. What, what was, what was Dick? the Dick Griffey experience like? I mean, Solar Records was really hitting it at that time. Okay, Dick Griffey, now that's another story. At one point, Dick Griffey um, was concert promoter and they promoted this concert at the sports arena called the Soul Concert or something like that. I decided they couldn't use the name Soul. Now, you know, here again, crazy, crazy, okay? And so I put an injunction on their box office and Dick calls me up and he says, you, you can't do that. 
And I said, well, I've done it. And he said, well, you don't know who the backers are. You don't know who's backing the concert. And I said, well, I don't care. They can't use the sole name. He said, well, you have children. I said, I got five and you got one. Do you want to go there? Okay. We hang up the phone. He goes to my husband and our attorney and they, they removed the injunction. I'm too crazy to remove the injunction. Dick and I see each other. We just look the other way a lot. We looked the other way. And finally, one night we were somewhere backstage and I went over and I said, you know, we were friends too long to let this hang. Can we move on from here and let the past go? He said, okay. Less than six months later, I got a call. He invited me to dinner. I thought he was after someone else that he could reach through me. And at dinner, he said, I'd like you to be my VP of publicity. And I said, I don't know anything about publicity, Dick. He said, I'm willing to pay you for six months to prove that you do. I said, when do I start? And that was my comeback after having crashed and burned when Soul went down. Because when Soul went down, I was emotionally, I was gone. I was gone. I was mentally, emotionally gone. And I had just started working myself back, doing some temp work to make sure I could still function. And he offered me that job. And there I was at Solar at the top of their heyday. When the deal signed, uh, Midnight Star came in, Lakeside was doing great. I mean, there I was, okay? Looking for the female member of Shalimar. Uh, it was fabulous. And Dick, for me, was an incredible boss, an incredible man. Uh, he listened to you. He did what he wanted to do, but you could speak what you felt and say, he always treated me with respect and dignity and uh, God bless his soul. And he, again, another one of those that he walked the walk. He didn't talk the talk. Uh, one time he was hiring somebody and I said, oh, they're not as good as so-and-so. He said, I have to hire the black person because if I don't give them a chance, who is? Mm -hmm. And that for me, and then, you know, we worked on the Jesse Jackson run for president. We were the West Coast managers of that. So I got to work with Jesse. Uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu came here from Africa. I got to do a luncheon for him. Uh, I mean, incredible things. I, I got to learn a whole new thing besides publishing, working for Dick Griffey. It was a marvelous experience, marvelous. Friends to this day from them. We recently had a solar day uh, last year in 2018, City Hall, and a bunch were down there. And it was so great to be down there with the solar. I felt like these were family, these were relatives. Well, so you were on the other side of it too, to some extent, because in that role, were you actually having to deal with any publications? Okay. I don't know if you've heard of Ruth Robinson, but she's a wonderful friend and she's a writer and Ruth's been around a long time. And yeah, she was with BRE, right? Yes. She yeah, I, I worked at BRE. Okay, you worked at BRE. Okay, so you know Ruth, maybe. Okay. A little bit. She's we, she's she's. Got... Okay. Yeah. Cover story: <laughs> BRE on Solar Records, right? I get Sydney to let me see the copy before they go to press, and I made a few changes. And Ruth called me up hysterical. You're a journalist. How could you do something like this? You know better than this. You're the last one I would expect. And I said, Ruth, I was a publisher. 
Now I'm a publicist. That means I'm a whore. I do what I have to do, depending on what I'm doing. I work now for the artist. <laughs> I got to make my client look good. Yeah. Ruth was angry with me. Thank God we're friends. We became friends. I mean, we've been friends, but you know, she was so disappointed with me. But I understood. I had a whole different role. Now I got to protect the dirt. Yeah, two sides of a coin. <laughs> and I handled the transfer pretty well. Pretty <laughs> well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not no no problems at all. The hardest thing for me was the last decade of my life. I went into. Um, I took on a client with a nonprofit childcare development, Crystal Stairs, the largest in the West Coast at the, at the time, 1992, I think for sure I went on there. And uh, nonprofit was very hard for me. Um, they were wonderful. We did great work. It was fabulous. But I, when I saw the mechanism of uh, nonprofit up in the millions, it's the business of poverty too often, uh, the way the government plays with the money and what you have to go through to get the grants and the, the whole bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was able to bring my um, entertainment in there somewhat because I went from the, uh, them as a client to become staff for communications and I did all the periodicals and videos and then I started doing fundraising dinners and stuff like that. And um, one of my biggest coups is I got um, Pauletta Washington, Denzel's wife, on the committee, and, and we honored her, and uh, Denzel was there, and I remember him coming, and, you know, he's carrying her coat, and he's standing off in the background, and nobody even saw him at first, and then, of course, when they saw him, they mobbed him, you know, because I gave him no love until people spotted him themselves. It was all about his wife, because this was about child care development and children, and, uh, but I had still enough pull that I could reach and get those people and get them to be there and participate. That was nice. So entirely new kind of fulfillment there. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was really good. It was to see the kind of work that some people do against all odds is just, to, to, is amazing. It was a good way to end out my work career. Um, and, and you said that was 92? 92, 92? I was there from 92 till, oh God, 214 or something like that. No, 92 to 204, something like that. You know, I think you've really um, nailed that you were not about the being starstruck and, and all that kind of thing, but obviously you were touched by what happened with Aretha. Are there a couple of other stars like i've seen pictures of you with stevie wonder and all these people that um stand out to you for one reason or another stevie came up to the office one time and thank god he had people with him because i wouldn't have paid attention i had hanging ferns and he would have bumped his head on the fern and you know guiding him in the whole bit and he wanted me to play something and i didn't have uh, music in my office they had it in the editorial room I didn't have a player. Buddy, a couple months later, I got a fabulous speakers and receiver and turntable. He said there was no way I could be in that business and not have my equipment. And he sent it all to me. And I wish it banging all of some, okay? Back in the day. All right. Wow. Well, that's, that's serious. He's okay. Yeah. 
It's like designer um, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Nisi Denise Williams. I never really became close friends with anybody, but Nisi and I could call her today. She's a friend. Um, before she became big, uh, before she became a solo act. And I remember meeting with her uh, management team and they wanted me to go out on the road with her. I said, I have my own business. I can't go on the road with an artist, you know. Be quiet what you say, because at some point when I was down and out, I was grateful to go out on uh, the road with Luscious Dame. <laughs> Do you even remember that name? Luscious Dame? Uh-huh. That was, was that a solar actor? She was a solo female act, yeah. No, but was it on Solar or was it? No, it was an independent label. I can't even remember all the details, but I remember. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I went on the road with her and I realized, and she was a sweetheart. And I realized, oh, no, I can't really do that. But then again, on the road with her, I took her to uh, Washington, D.C., got her on BET. That's where I met Jamie Brown. And Jamie and I are friends to this day. You know, so. It's like taking whatever there was and turning it into something wonderfully gold. Uh, I ran into Mary Wilson at a party three weeks ago at a going away party for someone. And, and she said, aren't you going to speak to me? And I looked and I said, oh, God, Mary, I didn't even because I didn't even think about her being there. You know, um, it's nice to feel that kind of communication. Sherry Payne, I stay in touch with her. Um, Diana Ross was at the airport one time, headed to Honolulu, um, and I have a son that uh, works for Hawaiian Air, and he went over to her and he says, my mother is Regina Jones, and I know you know her from the past, and she just kind of gave him this look, right? And about 20 minutes later, she came back over to him at the desk, and she says, tell Regina, I said, hi. So she had to channel because we're talking a hundred years i mean okay that's a nice feeling that means you did something right that a person remembers you in a positive way that's all i've ever really kind of cared about um i never disliked artists i just i couldn't be a journalist and be buddies with them you you, you just can't do the two things there's yeah. no way i mean I, you and i can't be friends and then I go do an expose on you. You just can't. Yeah. It's like um, trying to be your kid's best friend. You know, you have to be a parent. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I am one of my son's best friends. And even that's scary now. He's, you know, I had my kids early. He's 60. And right now I'm his best friend. And he's, um, I'll just say he's got a year and a half of sobriety. All right. Well, good. So, I'm his friend. I'm his best friend because what I came to was just unconditional love for him and acceptance that he is who he is and he's doing the best he can. And he realizes that when I made that breakthrough, I guess that's when I became his best friend because he realizes there's no judgment, none at all. I just thank God every day he's still alive. Well, I hope he keeps on that path. I pray every day for it. Okay. Every day. Yeah, I just, entertainers, I, I just, you know, I ran into Lenny. Um, why can't I think of Lenny? He was once with George Clinton. Lenny? Yeah, Lenny. Now, uh, Lenny, 
Lenny White's the only Lenny that comes to mind for me, but that was Tower of Power. Tower of Power, Lenny. Okay. I ran into Lenny at a stomp event, and I says, wow, Lenny, do you He said, yeah, I was just talking to Sandy about you the other day. That's, that's, it's nice. It, but it wasn't, give me a phone number, let me follow. Howard Hewitt is a great one. I run into Howard all the time. And uh, last time I saw Howard somewhere, and he said, why don't you ever call me? And I said, I don't have your number. And he said, so gave it to me right quick. I still haven't called. What am I going to call for? Okay. Hi, Howard. <laughs> it's a bit you know, awkward. Yeah. I was his publicist. All right. Um, I know him. I think he's a wonderful person. We're going to show grandkid pictures. And I might have to talk to him because I'm working on my memoir and I don't remember so much. So I may have to call him to ask him something crazy I might have done when I worked with him. Because I know more about what happened in my life when other people tell me stories. Most of a lot of what I tell you is what they've told me back because I've forgotten it. I moved too fast to remember. Well, just knowing what a fire plug you were, I'm sure they must have some great stories. I know. It, I have a cousin who's one of my, she's my best friend and she's my cousin. And she said, she's about 10, 10 years younger than me. She said she was somewhere one night and I came into a club or something. And she said, with an entourage. See, I don't remember this. All right. And she said, the person she was with said, God, she's a bitch. And she thought to herself, wow, I got to get to know my cousin better. <laughs> That's what made her come to me to be friends. I never occurred to me she said you were where and I got black on today she said you were all in black and I was told I didn't smile that often I was very serious you know I don't know I'm I'm 76 Scott I don't know who that woman was or how she made it I have no clue none at all um none I don't know how you found me did I even ask you how did you find me why did you call me that's what I want to ask because I'm a behind-the-scenes person, publisher, publicist. I Even the two ladies, the co-founders and the heads of Crystal Stairs, my job was to make them, uh, one of them, brilliant doctorate in child care development, you know, was worried about some interview. I said, Alice, stop it. You could wake up at 3 in the morning and talk more about child care than any reporter on earth could even think to ask you. You know, I like helping other people shine and um that's i enjoy that well i mean as far as finding you i mean sometimes it takes a, a journalist to find another journalist you know i mean that's what i do um uh -huh. and i do that on this show and i've always done it but um i wanted to ask you also regina was there any artist or a couple that you remember that were like particularly temperamental that you had to deal with Temperamental. Hard to deal with, a pain. <laughs> Gave you grief. Like childbirth. I forget the pain after the success <laughs> of the birth. So if I dealt with an artist and they were difficult, if I got the story and it got published, all that I went through is over. Does that make sense? Yeah, but maybe there was, uh, there was one or two that... Um, 
you were like, well, I don't know if I want to like do them again. They were such a pain that other time. No. No. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. I mean, you know, uh, no, no. Nobody. That's kind of bizarre. Yeah, that's not juicy. I know. <laughs> you see stuff about them. Uh, nothing. You know, like I imagine, I mean, this was, you had a little crossover with it, but I would imagine maybe somebody like a Rick James at the height of his deal might have been hard to deal with, you know? Mm -mm. I'll be honest. I didn't like Marvin Gaye. I loved his music. I met, I was with Marvin at some big party and he said something to me and he says, you're just a stuck up college woman or something without knowing, you know, who I am. And I thought that prick, you know, okay. So from then on, I would ignore him. I'd act like I didn't know who Marvin Gaye was. I'd let the staff do and go after him and get him anytime we could. But I personally was like, mm. and I had the pleasure of getting to know his uh, wife, Janice Gay, Jan Gay, and worked with her for over five years on her book before uh, I couldn't finish it. And uh, she got uh, David Ritz to finish it, to write her book. And Jan and I, and I she won't be mad at me, I'm sure. But I would say, when she'd tell me stories, I'd say, Jan, you were abused. Jan, you were abused. You know, and one day I said, Jan, she said, I know, I, Regina, I was abused. Because <laughs> he was abusive, you know, as a husband, as, as, as the man in that marriage. And uh, she was a kid, you know, that he took and molded the way he wanted to mold her. And... Mm. Uh, yeah, he did. He wasn't right. <laughs> he wasn't right. But I spotted that from that thing many years before there was a Jan Gay. The way he flipped me sort of with, you know, like I was a college educated woman and, you know, put me down in some public place. And I remember going, mm hmm, you know, his music is wonderful. Thank God it would come through him. It was different. And he was a musical genius. Yeah, I, all the, all these people are just people. I mean, they have all their failings, just like everybody else. Yeah, yeah, but that that's always been an awkward one that I've never really spoken about. But I just kind of mm, that was kind of how I handled him. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. It's very funny, and I just no. What What about a couple of the ones that are famously enigmatic, like um, Michael Jackson or Prince? Did you get any? Exposure of those guys? Uh, Prince. Okay. When we did the Shalimar contest to get the, the lead singer, it was at some big warehouse in West Hollywood. I can't remember the details. And there were some stairs to come down. And I remember coming down the stairs and having to tell this little guy to get over. I learned later that was Prince. <laughs> That's the only time I ever met Prince. But literally, it was like, was annoyed that I had to tell this little guy to get over. And that was Prince. Um, mm -hmm. My kids loved him. And so I did go to a couple of his concerts and was honored that I had tickets. But no, you know, no feelings about that. Uh, I, 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 Michael Jackson, you know, I knew him as a child. 
I watched him grow up and his brothers grow up and we were all very close mm -hmm. in those days. And his parents, their parents taught them respect for their elders. So they were always respectful. So I don't know what year it was, but it was a decade or so ago that Vibe magazine was going to do a story on Michael Jackson. Michael was not being interviewed at that time. He was doing, he said he would do three interviews. And I don't remember who the three people was were, but I was one of them. And uh, so I went up to Neverland, Neverland to interview Michael Jackson. And I had to wait and wait and wait. And then when he came in, I was there with my son. And he came in and he said, hi, Regina. And then Kevin was on the couch and Kevin stood up and he said, I remember you, but you weren't tall. Okay. And he treated me like the, he did as that same little boy with all the courtesies and everything at his home that day. And at some point after we uh, made a little small talk, he said, I need to spend a little time with the children. Are you okay just to hang out here at the house? There's food. And I remember this huge counter and kitchen with all these counters, like in a store of sweets and candies. And then he said to his person, give her, give them a cart to go around. And I guess they're used to escorting people. He said, no, she's family. Just let them go. I mean, I saw no difference in him. I was scared to death. This was Michael Jackson, a superstar. I was intimidated. I mean, he was bigger than life. And I'm at his house, helping myself to food, telling his cook what to cook, riding around, looking at his lions and all the stuff on his property. Um, that was a mind boggler to me. He was still the little kid until during the interview. I saved it to last because Vibe wanted to know about his cosmetic surgery. And I said, Michael, I've got to ask this because the publisher who gave me the assignment asked me to ask this and I asked him about your facial surgery. Baby, he stood up, his voice changed, everything changed. And I was backpedaling as fast as I could to calm him back down, to go back to the person I had spent the whole afternoon with. Mm -hmm. But I saw a flip of who that was. How dare you ask me about something like that? I remember that blew my mind to see that split personality like that. I'm capable of it. It just never occurred to me Michael was, okay? Um, nope. Open Arms, uh, Janet ran into her at A&M Records one time and, you know, long ago, they're stars. And uh, I said, hi, hi, Regina. It was like the same little children I knew. They still saw me as this powerful publisher in their eyes from when they were children. Mm -hmm. Boy, had the roles changed. <laughs> <laughs> Not even the same planets anymore, okay? So those are some of the stories I remember. That, that they're still, they're just people, like you said. Uh, we are all just people, and it's our environments and the people and what often they do to us who make us behave the way we do. And, um, and I've always had this feeling that when people were created, when they're given an extra amount of certain talents, they're cheated in certain other areas. So... I'm aware that when they're a genius over here, 
they may not know how to flush the toilet. You know, they, they, there's usually something missing. I haven't yeah. met anybody yet that has everything. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't met that person yet. No. <laughs> I'm still did you, open. <laughs> did, did you ever have any issues with um, uh, artists bringing like drugs into, you know, the offices or things like that? Did you ever have to police that kind of thing? Uh, uh, if anything, I never saw them do anything around me. Uh, but my oldest son, uh, who's got the sobriety, who got to hang out and was exposed a lot, he will tell me stories of things that he was aware of at 16, 17, that I was oblivious to, like being backstage with Bob Marley and they pass around a whole trash can hmm. full of marijuana. I missed it. <laughs> I don't know what planet I was on, okay? I think I was always focused on what I wanted to be focused on. Um, I remember getting very angry, and I don't remember who the group was, but one of my writers came back and told me there was drug paraphernalia all over the bed in the room when he went there, and I was pissed about that because that shouldn't even be in front of the journalist. Now, I'm a journalist, but I'm not wanting my journalists to be exposed to that. Uh, right. You said you were older than most of them and sort of like, not only were you guiding them, but you probably had a protective. I, yeah. I did. Yeah. 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 Stories I've heard in the last, I'd say 10 years, some of the things that they might have been exposed to or went through. Uh, sometimes I've been shocked and had tears. Okay. Uh, that God, I missed that. How did I miss that? You know, and thank God they were okay. Uh, you know, like a guy sending him to interview somebody at, a, at, a, at in those days a gay bar and somebody pinching him on the butt and him, you know, mm -hmm. not knowing how to tell me that back then. Uh, but see, I didn't, I just didn't have any, everything was a part of life because of, I guess the way I'd grown up. So there was no real judgment about other people, your color, your sexuality, none of it infringed on me. It was. It wasn't weird or different or strange to me. It just was life, and so I didn't think anything of it. And then um, I just didn't think. One of my photographers, Gwen, I can't remember her last name right now. I remember she flew off somewhere with, um, oh God, on a plane with like Cary Grant or somebody, you know. <laughs> Or another time my staff had gone up to interview Sly and two of the other young women, uh, her friend, and they called and they said, we're sorry, we can't come back to the office. Sly won't let us leave. And he set the dog, the pit bull out in the yard so we can't even get out of the house. Okay. Or a secretary calling an assistant front desk saying, I always told him, always tell me the truth, no matter what it is, right? She called. She said, I'm not coming in today. I'm still with Dennis. <laughs> I'm like, too much information. <laughs> yeah, so sometimes it would backfire on me a little bit. But yeah, it's a great office, you know. Great, great, great staff, great people. I was blessed to work with some great people. It, it seems like in the area of, uh, you know, Black music that, the UK was a little more on top of it in terms of like rolling out some publications that focused on 
on that. You know, they came after you did, but um, why do you think they were more on top of it? I mean, the U.S. kind of turned its back on it, especially as you got into the 80s. I don't know. I just know that that's how I met David Nathan. Uh, he loves soul music and came here and he never wrote for soul, but we're great friends to this day. Um, oh God, even a photographer, Katsuji Abe out of Japan, you know, certain people have an appreciation for soul music and somehow or another in, in England and in London and the UK, we think of the sophistication of the UK we don't think of all the bottom that's there. And there's a whole lot of rough English people <laughs> that naturally could hear the music, could hear the, the terror, could hear the tears and the black music. And they embraced it. And that's why they were more into the blues, into the real soul music than even we were. We were kind of like a little bit ashamed sometimes as we got more sophisticated. And they just opened their arms to it. That's like, I mean, where the Rolling Stones come from? Where where did the Beatles come from? You know, all of that. They heard it and they would get our musicians and put them in the band and learn from them and the whole bit. But I realized they were living in pain too. They It wasn't black and white. It was white and white. But the ghettos were the ghettos. And the abused or the have-nots or the have-nots. That's just my opinion. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything. <laughs> I, I would see some of those magazines, though, and be like, why aren't they doing this here? You know? Yeah, lose, yeah. lose the soul. Yeah, some were really, they were nicely laid out. Obviously, I think of how expensive it would be to do that here, you know, and how are they doing it? You know, it's amazing. Well, even now, you know, the CDs and things, they're whatever sells over there now. Um, we don't think of how small their numbers are compared to here. You don't sell millions there like we do here. Their magazines didn't have to reach millions of people or hundreds of thousands. It's a smaller, more compact market. And um, some of the best in-depth stories I've ever written, uh, written, ever read are in the English magazine by people it's amazing yeah. Yes. yeah yeah there's a few factoids i want to mention while i have you so that viewers uh get some of this knowledge um that we haven't touched on and one is that um at the peak you had about one hundred twenty-seven thousand issues of the publication is that right yeah we were selling one hundred twenty-five thousand, and that's nothing when you look at it nowadays but it was big then yeah. What was that like in the mid 70s or when was that? That was the early 70s, mid 70s. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And um, do you think there's any chance that a publication like Soul Newspaper could be created and exist today despite the internet? Or, or if it was an online publication, maybe, I don't know. But online, maybe they could do something, but hard to hold up in your hands i don't think so that's over i mean it we still read books some of us and uh you know people are reading you know you, you know online even the books now or listening to them 
yeah, I just don't see what it would take to put out a publication and it doing well for very long. You know, I, it, it, it breaks my heart. Uh, journalism and writers in general are just not paid. They're not kept. They're not respected the way they should be. Uh, it's a, you know, it, they want headlines and shortcuts and just give me a few like, words and that's it. Like the news, it's not in depth. It's very few things are in depth now. We're well, just the, way, the way people listen to the music has changed so much too now. I mean, just, you know, snippets here or there. No one's, hardly anyone ever sits down and really experiences a whole album nowadays. I never would have thought that one day, I, and I can't say it, but I would say, hey, just here, play me some something. And the response would be, you have to subscribe, but I'm going to turn you on to this station. And then all of a sudden I get music by whoever I call out. Uh, for some reason, I was listening to Eric Dolphy yesterday evening. And I, and I called that out and, you know, here it was one tune after another. And then I played with Joe Sample. But who would ever think I would holler out to a machine, hey, somebody, play me some, <laughs> and they would play the music. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys cover much of the jazz in Seoul? Uh, Leroy Robinson had a uh, jazz column. And then he would do features from time to time on different people. And he was devoted to jazz and... Uh, yeah, so we, we always had the jazz in, so. Yeah, so you check that box. So, yeah. Regina, you've also won some awards. Uh, we didn't mention uh, the ones I know about are the NAACP uh, award. I actually uh, put her out. She's usually up somewhere, put away, but I put her out. Yeah, Woman of the Year, uh, Special Award, Outstanding Woman in Business, 1980 NAACP award. How did you feel when you were given that? Uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> in the spotlight? Yeah, in the spotlight, having to go up there and accept it. Uncomfortable. Uh, never really understanding why. Um, yeah, I, you know, never really understanding it. I've, I've received, and I, I couldn't sit here and tell you what awards I've gotten. And I purposely had to make sure I, those albums hang there all the time that I position this to show the albums to show that I actually was in the music business. In the background, I don't know if you can see them on the wall. Are those from are those solar or what are those? Those are solar, but don't ask me what they are. Because <laughs> I don't remember. There's a Janet Jackson one hanging, uh, Control, uh, on another wall here. Um, all the rest of them were either stolen or a couple of my kids have a few, but a lot of them were stolen uh, out of the soul office. Stevie Wonder and the Key of Life, uh, that one I've always regretted and remembered. You know, there's things that just get, disappear out of your life. You don't know they disappeared. They walk off. They walk, they, they you know, all the Supremes files mostly were not in the Supremes drawers when I did inventory after it was all over. Well, 2016, you got a Pioneer Woman Award? Yeah, I don't even remember who that was from. Los Angeles uh, Pioneer Woman Award? I... Oh, uh, Los Angeles City Council President Herb Wesson. See what I mean? <laughs> I couldn't figure out, you know, why they did it, but thank you very much, Council 
Bookman Wesson, and thank you very much. <laughs> I know him as a, a homeowner and, and in his district and going in for our neighborhood because I was on the uh, neighborhood association. I even ex became president for about one year and said, I don't want to be the president, okay? But working with him to try to get things right, but where they came from with the knowing who I was before kind of blew my mind a little bit because uh, I don't meet people and say, oh, this is who I used to be. It's about who I am right now. It's got to be a thankless job running a HOA. Yeah, that's what happened. It was, uh, I, I said, let these people do stuff for themselves. If they can't do something, the heck with them. I'm not raising any more babies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I stepped down. And the poor lady, this the president, I promised her I always have her back if she needs something, but no. <laughs> I'm too old. I don't have that much time, Scott. I've got to finish this book and there's a few other things and I want to make sure all my affairs are in order uh, as long as I'm on this planet. And I used to think it was four quarters. So, you know, I'm in my final quarter, but I've decided um, there's fifths, <laughs> there's five pieces. So one to 20, 20 to 40, 40 to 60. 60 to 80, I'm completing that. And then I want to see what goes from 80 to 100. Not that I necessarily want to live to 100. I just want to live as long as I can take care of myself. Right. But I want to be open to new things. I, I love new things. I love new people. I love learning about people. I love people. There it is, you know. And like doing this, thank you. See, I was scared to death. I didn't think I could get the phone to work. You had to spend quite a bit of time talking me through this we got it happening yeah yeah well thanks for sticking through it you know lesser lesser people would have given up possibly oh no 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 yeah i i you know i like it all i like it all <laughs> regina um as we get ready to close this out i want to ask you so as you look back um what are you most proud of and what do you think was your greatest triumph thus far My greatest triumph was not to be a victim when everything fell apart in my life and that I got back up, which I tell everybody, whether you slip and fall or you get knocked down, just keep getting back up over and over again and had a whole new life after what could have been my, you know, end story. Uh, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that. I'm proud that I published Soul and that I stuck to it as long as I could. And I raised five kids. And I know all of my 13 grandkids uh, when their birthdays are. And I have wow. personal relationships with each one of them. I stay in touch. They want to be close. We, we're close. If they want to be isolated every now and then, I just throw a germ out there and kind of keep in touch. Um, and they know I'm here for them. If they have a problem, can't talk to their parents or feel lost, I'm always going to be there for them. I always got their backs and they know that. Um, like I said, I want to finish the book. doesn't matter if it's out there. It's not for the public. It's really to have my life down for my family. The public likes it great. If not, oh, well, I will have gotten it down, you know, like a book, good picture album for the family. Okay. Um, You're not getting around any titles yet? No. <laughs> Ruth, Ruth has made a couple suggestions. We're actually, 
she's going to come over tomorrow and we're going to start working. Uh, she's going to help me. Uh, she said, years ago, you know, I offered to help you. You never said anything. I wasn't ready. Okay. So I'm ready now to finish it. I've written a few hundred pages, but it's all humble jumble all over the place. And I need somebody else to help me pull it together. Can't do it myself. Uh, can't even remember everything in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wish you great luck with it. I really look forward to seeing it and Thank reading you. it. So Yeah. I just got to remember more of the soul stories. And that's the hardest thing because that's, I really live in the present. I'm right here with you right now. The past is the past. The future I have no control over. All we have to me is right here, right now. Mm -hmm. Well, hopefully some of those other people you mentioned too will help rekindle those memories. Yeah, because they, they come up, you can open a door and I go, whoa, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. Well, wow. I wish the guest was still here to get some stories from him. Uh, because I, I can remember some, you know, we, yeah, we joked and laughed and uh, he worked with Denise, with Nisi, he worked with the Doobie Brothers, he worked with Al Green. I remember him calling me from wherever it was when Al got the grits poured on him and he wanted to know what, what, what I thought he should do. You know, moments like that. <laughs> I wish I could get more out of him to remember more about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is there any a message you'd like to get out to people that have followed the publication and were fans, you know, and still still treasure a lot of those? I want to say thank you for caring about soul and soul music. Uh, I heard a saying once that said, give me a people's music and I have and I understand the people. And that's been true always. And black music, soul music, uh, speaks volumes for an entire culture and uh, i'm just pleased that there are people that love it and hear it and appreciate it as well and i just thank you very much for including me in your show i'm honored to be a part of it i'm honored to know you and i look forward now to looking up knowing more about you um and paying attention it's well i'm so grateful for you coming on and sharing those stories and you know what you may say that you don't remember a lot, but you had a lot of great stories. So thank you so much for sharing them. And thank you so much for, you know, what you created that stands the test of time in the publication and, you know, the other things that you've done in the industry. And I'm so glad things are working out well for you now. So thank you very much. A pleasure to talk to you, Regina. Thank you, Scott. A pleasure on this end as well. It wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I told you. Okay, I don't think I oversold it at the outset, did I? What a great, amazing person and source of incredible inspiration to pursue dreams, overcome obstacles, and just go for it no matter what. The women in her publication are both truly one of a kind. Once again, I send out a huge thanks to Regina Jones for sharing her stories, emotions, and behind-the-scenes Soul Newspaper Insights with Truth and Rhythm. And as always, I thank you, the viewers and listeners, for continuing to support Truth and Rhythm and the artists that it presents. Speaking of which, subscribe. If you don't already subscribe, what are you waiting for? It's free, and you get shows before anybody else. So just sign up to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, and you get all the goodies 
all the time. And we need that support. Show these funk, jazz, and R&B soul artists that you support and appreciate what they did and also that you believe in the program. Much appreciated. Also, write me. Drop me an email at scottg at funkandstuff.net. Let me know what you like about the show, what you might like to see different, who else you want to see on the show, and just talk music in general. You know, I'm very responsive, and I appreciate the feedback, love the dialogue. This is your show, so participate. And with that, as always, this is Scott Dr. Jake Skullfine saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one.